close that. Well, something's different. Any ideas? We're going to try something a little different today, uh, and there's a good reason for it. But before we do that, uh, one, it's, it's a blessing for both Pastor Dan and I um, to be able to sit down and share from our hearts this morning, because both of us have been quite ill this week. I with bronchitis, Pastor Dan with... Uh, uh, gastroenteritis. And so we'd covet your prayers because we're going to continue the conversation we've been having and we're going to finish our series on living in the red this morning with arguably some of Jesus' most important words. And we'll read those together in just a few moments. But we just sang a song about the idea of knowing you. There is no greater thing than knowing you. And I wonder in all reality, if we believe that. It's a great song, and you sang it very well. Well done. But when it gets to Monday morning and you've got to roll out of bed, is it the greatest thing in the world to know Jesus and follow him? When work gets difficult, when people criticize, when you're lonely, is there anything greater than knowing Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and bringing glory to God the Father through Jesus? And for many of us, that lampstand that we talked about a couple weeks ago has moved. And so today, so today we're going to have a conversation about this idea of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. So I don't feel it's best for me alone to talk about discipleship when we've got a pastor of discipleship at AIC. And so we said, why don't we do it together and do something I don't think we've ever done as a church other than King Herod was here a few years ago. Um, but that's about the only other time we've team preached. So if you'll bear with us, let's open in prayer this morning and then we'll open the word together. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you didn't leave us here on our own, but that you gave us our marching orders. And I pray that we would be obedient to them, that we would understand today the joys of discipleship, of what that looks like, what it means, and how to overcome some of the obstacles we may face in that. Lord, I pray for strength. We believe that Satan has been attacking physically and spiritually in any way he can to keep us from being a church that makes disciples. Draw us together in your name, we pray. Amen. So I'm going to turn and I'd like to invite you to open in your Bibles. We're going to be focusing largely on two passages this morning. Uh, Pastor Dan will bring us to the second. But I'd like you to read with me. Um, you've got on the screen verse 19. You can add to that verse 18 as well. But I'd like you to read verse 19 with me of Matthew chapter 28. Now, this is at the heart, and verse 20, this is at the heart what we call the Great Commission. A commission is marching orders. It's what we're called to do. Fancy word, it's the imperative for us, the disciples of Jesus Christ. So read together with me, starting with verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you to always to the end of the age. Amen. That's a, one of the most famous verses or passages in all of Scripture. And we talk about it. But if we did a health check of AIC, if we did a health check of us individually, and I asked, who are we investing in? Who are we pointing to Jesus in our lives very intentionally? it might get harder. So I want us to back up. If you look at the mission of Alliance International Church, you know our mission is simple. Our mission is to glorify God, right? Okay, you're with me so far. Good. At least a couple of you. Well, how do we glorify God? Well, it's a progressive mission statement. That's why I like it. We glorify God first by loving Christ. Well, how does Jesus tell us we can show that we love him? By obeying his commands, correct? He says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. Those are his words, not mine. Well, what did he command? Well, if you look at the beginning of Jesus' statements in Matthew chapter 4, 
and you go all the way to the end of Matthew, to Matthew chapter 28, you've got this bookend, and two of the biggest things Jesus said were found there. First, he says, follow me. I know where I'm going, follow me. There's a reason we refer to him as the light of the world, because he knows where he's going, and he points us back to God the Father, and he provides a way for us to enter in to an eternal relationship with God, our Heavenly Father. And that's amazing. Then, at the very end of his earthly ministry, Jesus looks and he tells his disciples, and by default, us as well, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That was his command. So for us as a church, what does that look like? Well, If we're serious about what we said, glorifying God by loving Christ, loving one another and reaching the world, and we therefore say that obedience to Christ's commands is what we are to be about, then we are to be about making disciples. It's pretty simple logic, right? Yeah, and it should excite us. We should look around the world we find ourselves in and say, there is a world in need of a Savior and I can't wait to introduce them to Jesus. So a fancy way for us to say all this is that we are called to multiply. We are called, those two verbs, if you're looking at your, your note sheet, if you, hopefully you got those when you came in this morning, we are to go and make disciples. That requires action on our part. God doesn't need us. He's fully God and fully capable of everything. But he invites us into his mission. And in so doing, he challenges us to go into all the world. He challenges us to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father. These are active imperatives, they're called. They're active commands. If we love Jesus, we'll obey his commands, right? Well, his command is pretty simple. Go and make disciples. What are we making? We, the church, are to make disciples of all nations. Acts 1.8, you will be my witnesses next door and all to the ends of the earth. And so what do we mean when we talk about this idea of making disciples? What's that look like, Pastor Dan? Yeah. Well, as, as Pastor Mike has laid out, our mission is uh, to go and make disciples. That is our mission as a church at AIC. We can come up with our own mission statements, and we have, but we've crafted it around Jesus's mission for us. And so if we think about, okay, that's our mission to make disciples, I think it's important for us to understand and ask the first question is, um, what does it mean to be a disciple? Um, And so I think to think about it um, personally first, to ask ourselves, how can I be a disciple? What does that mean before I can go and make other disciples? And so I think for us to understand that and have a, a clear picture I think it's good to look at when Jesus first started his ministry, earthly ministry, in Matthew chapter 4. This was right after Jesus was tempted um, by the devil in the desert, if you remember that. And then immediately Jesus is, goes and he begins his earthly ministry. And this is the account in Matthew chapter 4, uh, verses, uh, starting in verse 18. It says... As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew, and they were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. And at once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Well, here Jesus extends an invitation uh, to these fishermen by saying, come and follow me. And so really, at the essence of being a disciple, it is someone who follows Jesus. It's a follower of Jesus. Um, But I I prefer when I describe or when I think of a disciple, um, I like to use adjectives because it makes it a little bit more clear Uh, of what type of follower that means. Um, And I believe that a disciple is a devoted or committed follower of Jesus. And the reason I say that is because actually the Greek term for disciple uh, literally means a student, a learner, an apprentice. And in Jesus' day, what that meant was 
you would commit yourself to following and committing to a significant amount of time to follow a significant master. And so it meant time commitment. It meant uh, a lot of commitment on one's part. You couldn't just kind of say, I'm casually sort of think I am. It's complicated, a follower of someone. You were a committed follower or you weren't. And I think that's important for us today. And as we look at this example of these first people that Jesus called as they were fishermen, um, you'll see that their decision was a decisive and complete decision to follow Jesus. Now, some of us may not be very decisive by nature. I'm one of them. Uh, in, our, in our office, when, we, when it's lunchtime and several of us want to go out for lunch, everyone knows my answer when they ask, Dan, where do you want to eat? And that answer is, I don't know. Where do you want to eat? <laughs> and to be fair, five out of six answer that way. Okay, yes. Mike is the one who sometimes, well, we'll just go here. <laughs> Mike is very decisive, which is good. Um, that's why we're in a team. But, but by nature, I'm not very decisive. But when it comes to follow Jesus, following Jesus, we need to make a decision. Um, and I, I've, I use the term, it's complicated. When I was a youth pastor, uh, this was something that always frustrated me when uh, students would put their Facebook status update as, I'm in a relationship, it's complicated. <laughs> And I don't know, I still don't know what that means. You're, so you have a girlfriend. Well, sort of. So you don't have a girlfriend. Well, I kind of do. It's complicated. I, I, don't, I don't get that. And sometimes as Christians, we maybe think about that in our relationship with Christ. Well, I sort of am a Christian. I go to church, I guess. But really, Jesus' call is for us to make that firm commitment and that decision We'll notice here that in this passage, in verse 20, it says, at once they left their nets and followed him. They didn't think about it. They didn't say, well, I'll get back to you. Or, well, it's kind of complicated. No, at once. And then uh, in verse 22, it says, immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And I believe that short phrase there is so important for us to understand what these first disciples, these first followers of Jesus were giving up to follow Jesus. In Jesus' day, um, people, their identity was wrapped around a few things. One was um, on family. Family was huge. Um, in fact, you'll see that in verse 21, it, it calls James who? James the son of Zebedee, right? And so he was identified as the son of Zebedee. Um, and so family name was very important, being identified with family. Being identified by uh, your occupation. Okay, these men were, they were fishermen. Um, and so we also know of Jesus as being called the carpenter, or um, Matthew the tax collector, or Herod the king. Okay, whatever their occupation was, that would be their identity. In fact, eventually, uh, in Jesus' day, there, was no, there were no surnames, there were no family names. Um, and so in his, uh, eventually, family names were associated with one's occupation. So that's why we still today have names like Baker, um, like uh, Schumacher, or, which is a derivative of Shoemaker, um, Smith, you know, Tups, I don't know where that comes from. You know the origins of Rose? Uh, <laughs> I guess we grew flowers. Yeah, so they were gardeners. The gardener, that's one too. Okay. Anyway, so family and occupation was literally wrapped up. That's where people would find their identity and also the region that they lived in. Um, you know, my son's name is Lucas. And literally, that, that name originated as meaning just someone from a place called Lucania. And so Lucas just meant you were from Lucania. Uh, Jesus was known as Jesus of Nazareth. And so here we see these men leave their boats, meaning they left their occupation, they leave their father, they left their family, and we would assume that by leaving, they left their region. And what they were doing was, they were giving up everything that was uh, their identity and taking on a new identity, which was following Christ. So, if they've taken on a new identity... And we understand this concept of we're all in. And you've heard us talk before about the very fact that we are to carry the name of Christ with us wherever we go. 
one of the questions, if we're honest with ourselves and we understand the scriptures well, is following Jesus can be difficult. Jesus never promises it's going to be, I apologize for the pun, a bed of roses. There will be many thorns along the way. And if you look into Luke 14, he gives this very clear picture that there is a cost to discipleship. And he's very honest. And he said, if anyone comes to me and he makes statements like, and they do not hate their father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, please don't misunderstand what I'm saying here and look at your spouse and say, I hate you. The, the intent that Jesus is speaking is, is so much bigger than that. It's everything is rubbish, save the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Nothing else matters. When everything is weighed based on that relationship with Jesus Christ as Lord, things come into perspective. You can love your spouse wonderfully as Christ first loved you, making you a servant to your spouse. And that's how it's supposed to work. But some of you look and say, well, I don't want to do that. And we get to this question that inevitably happens in anyone's journey of faith, of anyone's journey of, anyone's journey of discipleship. What holds us back from surrendering everything to follow Jesus? And I honestly think that usually it's a matter of perspective. We know it's the right choice to follow Jesus. It's hard to argue with eternal life. It's hard to argue, as we talked about last week, remember the Ikea shelves illustration. It's hard to argue that there is an author and perfecter of our faith, and he invites us to follow him, and he'll give us life that is the right way. But if we try to do it on our own, we're going to keep getting off course. We're going to keep going sideways. And that's how we tend to function, of going sideways. But a matter of perspective says, yeah, there is a cost, but it's way better to follow Jesus and go where he leads than to try to do it on our own. Because Jesus not only promises that, yeah, the way is hard and that we need to take up our cross and follow him and we need to trust him with every single area of our lives. We need to let the dead bury their own dead. He makes radical statements of obedience, statements that in that day and time would have been even harder than what we see them as now. Because they were so intense. Because he was inviting people into a complete and decisive relationship with himself. And he said, and I will guide you in figuring out the rest. But I come first. But we get stuck there. And we need to understand what else Jesus has told us. And if you look at John uh, chapter 6 verse 35... Jesus gives a good, a good answer of why we shouldn't hold back, why he's the right answer. He tells us, he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me will not thirst. Now, let's think about that for a second. I've got bronchitis, which means I've got a sore throat, which means I am constantly thirsty, <laughs> And I, I love the imagery that Jesus gives, that in him, he is the living water. You will never thirst again. I'm not going to walk around heaven. If you remember the TV show Seinfeld saying, these pretzels are making me thirsty. Because why? I am fully satisfied in Jesus Christ. He is all I need. I'm not thinking about the next time I can eat at McDonald's. Because Jesus is all I need. He will sustain me for eternity. He is all we need. And he will guide us in the path every step of the way. Paul adds to this. He says, let light shone out of, for God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. You see, we experience and we see and we learn just a little bit about the glory of God here on earth as we follow Jesus. And so Jesus draws us in to this place 
of enjoying the very glory of God the Father through Christ the Son. In one sweeping statement, I am the bread of life, Jesus communicated to the crowds he was talking to that he was the provision. He was the promise that God had given to his people to satisfy their souls. And so when I talk to people about what's keeping us from being a disciple of Christ, we have to ask a question. Is Jesus enough? We sang I Surrender All a few minutes ago. And you sang it really well. Did we mean it? Is Jesus all we need? Is he capable of carrying our burdens? Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Are we resting in him? So in order to understand what's holding us back, we have to ask the fundamental question, is Jesus enough? Unequivocally, yes. He is the only one that is enough. There is only one way to God the Father, and that is through Jesus Christ the Son. His words. And so, He is the only answer to what ails us in this world. He is the only hope we have. He is enough. So if we get to the place where we understand He's sufficient that he's enough, that he's the one doing the heavy lifting. He's the one that will guide us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. That's what he promises us. He's not leaving us alone. He gave us the Holy Spirit to guide us, to convict us of sin, to bring us back, and to teach us to, as we read and study this word, to draw us into himself. And so when Paul adds in 2 Corinthians, he says, we don't lose heart. These bodies, yeah, they're wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction. And some of you may face things that just seem too much to bear. But in the weight of eternity, it's momentary. In this light, moment, this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to that which is unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. They come and they go. But the things that are unseen, it's eternal. Do we look ahead knowing Jesus is enough? Knowing that he's got us covered, not just for today, not for tomorrow, not for five years from now, not for 10 years from now, but for all of eternity. We're his. And he's bringing us into the glory of God. And he's saying, come, follow me. It's a work of God in our lives. We don't do it on our own. It's he who saves us. It's he who helps us grow. It's not by our own doing. It's the gift of God. So the wrong question is what's holding us back. The right question is, who else do we need but Jesus? And if we're acting as his disciples, if we've come to the place where we say, Lord, here you go, I'm all in, I'm yours. Well, then there's going to be certain aspects of life that are going to set us apart. There's going to be, Dietrich Bonhoeffer called the marks of a disciple among many others. So what are maybe some of those marks of a disciple, Pastor Dan? Well, um, many of us may have answered Jesus' call to follow him, just like the early disciples. And for those of us who have done that, we know that it, it is a costly decision. It means surrendering everything to him. And so we may have made that complete and fi- uh, decisive decision to follow him, and yet it doesn't stop there. I think for a lot of us, we think, okay, Jesus said, follow me. I've given my life to him. I have committed my life to him, so I'm in. I'm, I go to church. I surround myself with Christian friends. I, I, I pray. I read my Bible. I'm going to heaven, and we leave it at that. And we have to remember that there's so much more, and that's not all that Jesus said. He didn't say, come and follow me, and that was it. Um, if we look at how Jesus follows that up, he says, come and follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. 
So there's another aspect of being a disciple that's so important for us to understand, which unfortunately we have either been taught or we have thought um, that, that it, it, just following him is enough. But what it means to be a disciple is not just to follow Jesus, but a disciple is to be a disciple maker, someone who God uses to go and make other disciples. Um, basically, you know, when Jesus gave the, the Great Commission to his followers, to his disciples, he wanted them to multiply. And so that's our call as well. Um, now think about it. For those of you uh, who are believers, um, in your life, was there someone or a group of people that helped lead you to follow Jesus? Maybe it was a teacher, a coworker, a parent, a relative, a friend, a, a church worker. How many of you had somebody influence you to come to know Christ? Okay. That's, that's most of you who are believers here today. And so that means that they were following whoever influenced you, whoever impacted you, whoever invested in you was multiplying. They were following Jesus' command. And so... That means that God wants to do the same with you. God desires to use you to invest in and reach out to others. Um, Earlier in our series on uh, living in the red, uh, we looked at a passage that talked about where Jesus was saddened and he had compassion and he said, wow, the the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And uh, we looked at real numbers of how many millions of people in Hong Kong don't know Christ. How many billions of people in this world don't know Christ. And when we look at that, we, we can get overwhelmed. And we, we tend to think, wow, so many people need to know Christ. It's impossible for me to reach so many people. So maybe I should just give up. Maybe I shouldn't even try. Um, but what's, what's ingenious about the way that Jesus uses the way Jesus wants us to approach uh, the Great Commission is, I believe, to just focus on one person at a time. One person at a time. Some of you may have heard of this man, Dwight L. Moody, or D.L. Moody. He was a a famous American evangelist uh, in the mid to 1800s in America, in, in in the Chicago area. And actually, he came to know Christ, and he went throughout the world and hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people, are said to have been impacted by his ministry. And he had a enormous impact for the cause of Christ. Now, Dwight L. Moody uh, is not the norm. Most of us won't be evangelists who reach millions of people. There's another man who also was engaged in the Great Commission named Edward Kimball. How many of you have heard of him? Okay. Not very many. Edward Kimball was a Sunday school teacher who was an older man, and uh, he rarely led anyone to Christ, but he had a heart for teenagers, and so he taught a Sunday school class for teenage boys. And one of those boys um, was always falling asleep. He was never paying attention. He clearly didn't want to be there, and uh, no one knew why exactly he was there. And so um, he was one that, for those of us who teach, Maybe some of you teach kids or, or youth, or you just know that there's some people that you're like, okay, you're not interested? Fine, I'll move on to those who, who want to hear. And, uh, but he didn't take that view. He, God placed in his heart to reach this young, young teenage boy. And uh, so later on, when that boy was about 18 years old, he got a job as a shoe clerk. Um, and so Edward Kimball knew where he worked, and he felt the Holy Spirit was saying, I want you to go... Uh, to his place of work, and I want you to share the gospel with him. And so he would muster up the courage to go, and right when he would get to the door, he couldn't do it. So he'd walk away and say, God, sorry, I can't. I'm going to embarrass this young man. I don't know what to say. It's just going to be awkward. And so day after day, he did this until finally God gave him the courage to go inside. And he went inside, and he said hello to this 18-year-old young man and began witnessing to him and sharing the gospel. And with tears, he was um, pleading him with him to come to know Christ. And so that young man came to know Christ that day, and that young man was Dwight L. Moody. Now, Edward Kimball may have only led one person to Christ, but that one person led hundreds of thousands, if not millions of others, 
to Christ. We're not all called to be a D.L. Moody, but we all can be an Edward Kimball. We all can be someone who invests in just one person at a time. Now, some of you may genuinely think, well, I'm not qualified. I'm not good enough. How can I do that? And so, Pastor Mike, why don't you address uh, that concern that people might have? It's a good one. Uh, I sit up here, and, and you've heard me joke before that it's intimidating to think of leading anyone. You know, and for any of us, that could be a scary thing. We can get caught up in questions just like Edward Kimball said, what if he rejects me? You know, he fell asleep in my Sunday school class for years. What if they don't like me anymore? What if they say no? What if I'm just not good enough? One of the ones I hear a lot as we talk in AIC is, what if they ask a question I don't know the answer to? And those are very good questions to ask. But if we go back and if we understand that God never gives us more than we can handle first, and if Jesus says, I am enough, I'm all I need, I will never leave you or forsake you, and oh, by the way, I'm going to give you a counselor that will be with you every step of the way, the Holy Spirit then we have to begin to come to grips with maybe it's not me doing the work. Maybe it's God at work through me and I'm finally open to obeying where he's leading me in the first place. Time and again, people that I've been able to invest in haven't been because I'm super strategic and planned out that I am going to go meet this person at this time and I am going to tell them about Jesus and it's worked that way every single time. No. One guy I got to tell about Jesus, my wife said, you need to come home. We're going to go have coffee with somebody or we're going to go meet somebody that uh, I want our kids to play together. And I'm like, oh, great. Later on, I found out he was thinking the same thing that we were just the husbands getting together with the wives. And so he shows up smoking, tired from a long day of work, and I'm like, this guy doesn't want to know me. I'm a pastor. He's going to blow me off in five minutes. A couple years later, that guy accepted Christ along with his wife, and they continue to follow Jesus today. Not because I did anything other than I followed where God was leading, and I was like a gnat. I kept showing up. There's a famous line in the movie, The Benchwarmers, that said, maybe the greatest thing you do today is you showed up. Because we're not in this alone. First, we understand the Holy Spirit is with us every step of the way, empowering us. Jesus telling his disciples when they're going to be criticized, when they're going to be persecuted, he's saying, I, the Spirit, will speak on your behalf. It'll be my words. And then we think about some other things that Jesus taught us. And it's pretty amazing is Jesus inspired the word of God in, in such a way, he being the very word, that he inspired Paul to write this in Ephesians chapter 4, verses uh, 11 uh, and 12. And I'm going to read actually the whole passage because it's that powerful. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. So he gave these people specific gifts. That's what he did. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So the role of what sometimes we call today the church leaders, the elders, the under shepherds, the pastoral staff, our role is basically to equip the saints. I know some of you might say, well, I'm no saint. Well, through the blood of Jesus Christ, I differ. You have been saved and bought with a price. And you've been adopted as a son or a daughter of the Most High God. And you are a saint. Your actions, actions may not always reflect that. And we have to repent and confess of those. But we are to equip the saints. The church's role is to equip the saints, our people. The, the church is organic. It's not this room. It's the people in this room. And we're to equip you for the work of ministry. Sometimes we think that the ministers are us. 
are those with the title reverend or pastor in the front of their name. But if we look carefully at these words, the role of the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the shepherd, and the teacher is to equip the saints. What? For the work of ministry. You're not in this alone. God has appointed and picked out and set forth a team of leaders to help equip you. And we're going to talk about one of the ways we're endeavoring to do that in a few moments. But beyond that, he's given each of you gifts to walk alongside one another. Uh, Francis Chan says that Paul saw the church as a community of redeemed people, which we are, in which each person is actively involved in doing the ministry. Do you believe that? A few years ago, we talked about that. Every member ministry, remember that we're all in this together. We're all working together. The pastor's not the minister in this setting. The pastors are the equippers. The elders, the under shepherds are the equippers. The church leaders are the equippers. And every member of the church is the minister. Now, the implications to this shift in reality for many of us are huge. One, it means we've got to go back to what we said at the beginning. We've got to be active in ministry, using the gifts and abilities God has given us, going and making disciples. Second, we've got to see ourselves involved. We've got to see ourselves as openly ready to invite people into life with us. And if it's scary, we also remember that we're in this together. Look around. There's more than two people in this room. Praise the Lord. We have the freedom to worship our Most High God together. And that's a wonderful thing. And that's part of what God has called us to, to be the church. Listen to what Paul teaches us about that. You see, God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have what? The same care for one another. What if you're scared to go talk to somebody? Well, have you taken time to bring somebody along with you? Have you taken time to say, hey, Bryce, would you pray with me? I'm about to go into a difficult conversation. Could you, could you just keep me in prayer? Or how, do you, how would you handle this? How often do we learn from one another as we go on this discipleship journey? And we'll talk more about that. But the other thing is, as we think about the scriptures and we think about the church that God gave us, if one member, we suffer with you. Paul also says we grieve together, we mourn together, and we rejoice and we are honored together. Together is a common theme of what the church is about. Unity is a common call for the early church. They were figuring it out, and guess what? People don't always get along. We are from upwards of 18 different nations in this room this morning. That's pretty amazing. Then we're from all different ages, cultures, settings, beliefs, slightly, where we're used to different things. But in that, we are called to be one, as Christ and the Father are one. He draws us together, and then he gives us a whole list of one another's, of how we grow and we make disciples together. Think about this. Think of some of the one another's of the church. We're to care for one another. We're to love one another. We're to host one another, receive one another, honor one another, serve one another, teach and instruct one another, forgive one another, special emphasis there, motivate one another. You're scared? You're nervous? I can't do this? I'm not qualified? Come on, you can do it. Give a pat on the back and go get them, tiger. You're not doing it. The Holy Spirit at work in you will guide you and lead you forward. We are there to build one and up, encourage each other while it is still called today. Well, today is still called today. So exhort and encourage one another every day. We're there to comfort. You have a bad day? There's a song about that. But we, the church, are called to walk through life with those that have a bad day and lift them up. We're not get called to get caught in the gossip that can sometimes come in prayer sessions. Prayer is not meant to be gossip where we just blast everyone we don't like. We're called to comfort and point people back to the word of God as we work with them to grow in Christ. That's true comfort and encouragement. We're called to pray for each other. We're called to confess our sins one to another. I'm going to tell you a secret. 
your pastors, your elders, your leaders are not perfect. And we spend time admitting that one to another. I know you're shocked. Take a moment to let that sink in. But one of the most important things we can do as a body is admit that we don't have it all figured out and we're going to learn and we're going to grow together. It's called authentic living. And when you share with one another your struggles, you know what? If people are surrendered to the Lord, what we talked about, the decisive and complete surrender to God, they begin to see in you a chance to help you along, to bring you back from where you've strove. We are also to esteem one another. You are better than me, I get that. But you should still love me in Christ. We're to teach one another. We're to show kindness to one another. We're to give to one another. Take somebody out for coffee. Why? Because you love them. Who knows how you might show the light of Christ to them. We're to weep with one another. We're to rejoice with one another. We're to restore one another. Sometimes that means looking sin in the face, naming it, and dealing with it. That is an essential part of what we at church have to deal with. Matthew 18 talks about the idea of church discipline. We can't run away from it, but we can glorify God by offering grace and restoration by helping people work through what they are stuck on. Not as a way to say you're terrible at life, but as a way to say God has so much more for you. He's enough. Will you give him even this broken part of life? David Platt, a a guy I've come to really appreciate his preaching, said this. He says, in the church, we belong to one another and care for one another in such a way that we are responsible for one another. So when you go out and you name that person you know needs Jesus, you've got about 300 people walking with you. Some of them spread all over the world. And we're standing with you. And we will pray for you if you invite us to. And we will commit to walking with you as you... Lay it all on the line for Jesus Christ and love that unbeliever enough to teach them about Jesus. A few months ago, Pastor Harris was invited to do something way out of his comfort zone, to go out and lead a a Bible study for Cathay Pacific uh, employees. And over time, this ministry has grown and these people are hungry for the Lord and their schedules mean that they can't be there consistently. But Pastor Harris keeps showing up And he keeps loving them. And you know what? On Friday night, five people came to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That's exciting. That's what we're called to do. When the Lord opens the door, we charge through it. And we, the church, back them every step of the way. That should excite us to the point of giddiness. It should humble us to the point of God. Only you can get it done. Because there are over a billion people that don't even have access to the gospel right now. And you might be one to take it to them. Being a member of a church, and that's why we believe in membership. Being a member of a church means realizing we're responsible for helping our brothers and sisters grow as disciples of Jesus. In the same way, it's twofold. They're responsible for helping us. I need help. You need help. We need help. We desperately need each other in the daily fight to follow Christ in the world that's full of sin. One of the common things you hear about life in Hong Kong, it's one of the most densely populated areas in all the world. And I hear sociologist after sociologist say it's one of the most lonely places you can live. Why? There's 7 million people crammed in a space for 10,000 in my math. People need Jesus, and they need to know people are going to walk them together toward the light of Jesus Christ. Where do we start? It's pretty simple. We look around us and we seek those we can invest in. Thanks, Pastor Dan. Who do you know that just needs you to take a walk with them? Sometimes that's literal. The most important thing I did last week was took a hike with two brothers. That was the most beneficial thing I did last week. Spent time with two men that I love. Talk to them sometimes about Jesus and other times about anything else. But people need to know there are people that will walk with them and invest in them. 
And you need to prayerfully consider who those people are, that one person that you could walk with and invest in. And write it down. Come up with a plan. And second, do something that's not always very popular. Look around for people you can learn from. Because I don't care who we are. There are people here we can learn from. If you're new in the faith, we are eager to help you grow. If you're old in the faith, we're eager to ask questions and learn with you. But we can learn from one another. That's what completes the body. That's why that image and that metaphor is so consistent throughout the New Testament. Because we grow together. We function together. Membership is a commitment that's long term. We're not dating each other. We're not hoping this works out maybe. No, we're in it for the long haul and we're going to grow up into maturity. So we start by thinking and prayerfully considering who can we invest in. And then we go do it. And then we seek out those we can learn from. Well, I mentioned two names a minute ago of guys that have kind of motivated Pastor Dan and many others in this. Their names are Francis Chan, a guy that grew up in Hong Kong. And another guy that is now the head of the International Mission Board for the Southern Baptist Church. Uh, David Platt is his name. And these two guys have such a down-to-earth perspective of this idea of multiplication, of making disciples, that we want to finish by letting you hear from them and catching a vision of where we're headed as a church. of someone rising from the dead and saying all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me that's a huge statement go therefore and make disciples of all nations so it starts with Jesus saying follow me I'll make you fishers of men at the end he says now go and make disciples of all nations this is what you were created for. A lot of people have memorized this passage, but are they doing it? Is it actually happening? Um, we're all afraid. We all um, have have insecurities. Can we can we work together to get rid of those and and pray that God gives us power over those things, and then actually observe, actually go and do what He commanded us to do? And so the heart behind multiply is to help us. Remember, remind each other, hey, we're disciples of Jesus. That means we make disciples of Jesus. This is not just for the super gifted, the super talented. I really believe as we're doing this, we're really going to experience the presence of Christ with us in a much, uh, much more full way, in a much more real, tangible way. I mean, that's why he gave us the Holy Spirit was he says, look, I I'm going to give you this, this Holy Spirit. And, and when he comes, you're going to receive power to be my witnesses. The heart behind Multiply is saying, how can we encourage every single follower of Christ to fish for men, every single disciple of Jesus to make disciples of Jesus, and then along the way, equip one another, help, help give one another tools that can be helpful in the process of making disciples so that you and I together can be a part of accomplishing the greatest mission on the planet, seeing disciples made in every single nation among every single people group. Well, here at AIC, we don't just want to know about the Great Commission. We don't want to just teach and preach about the Great Commission. We want to actively engage in the Great Commission. And so what we're going to do this year is something a little different for adult discipleship. We're going to have a, a main focus for this year for adult discipleship, and that's on multiply. And so we, the reason why we want to do this is not about a particular material or a particular style. What we want is to get people engaged in one another's lives so we can grow together so we can invest in others, so that others can invest in us, and so that we can have a tool where we can equip you to get used to this idea of going and making disciples. And so starting next week, every Sunday, uh, we're going to meet right here at 9.30, and we would highly encourage you to prayerfully consider joining us. I know for some of you, uh, 
It's early. I'm not a morning person, I'll be honest. Um, but growing in Christ together is worth it. Uh, so I, I would ask you to prayerfully consider someone that you know, either in the church or who doesn't come to the church, that you could consider being your multiply partner. It could be someone that you would like to disciple, someone that you feel like you could help, grow, help them grow in their faith. Um, or maybe you're someone who wants to learn, and so maybe there's someone you know here that uh, you look up to and you would like to learn from them and grow alongside them. Some of you, um, maybe you prefer to work in, there's three of you that would like to grow together. That's fine. We're not going to, it's not, again, about a particular way of doing it. It's about the idea of growing and learning together. And so would you do that? Would you consider joining us to be involved in the Multiply movement? I know some of you also, um, maybe during that time, are helping with the kids. Or maybe you genuinely have other commitments that you, you can't be here, but you want to be involved. That's fine, too. Just let us know. And it's not about just doing the material here or you can't do it. You can work on it together with someone outside of this time. We just want to give you tools to equip you and to facilitate opportunities for us and for you to be involved in the Great Commission, where we are not just disciples who follow Jesus, but we're disciples who go and are fishers of men as well. Does that make sense? Okay. I think we could be a little more enthusiastic. We're just basically saying, Lord, we're going to obey. We're not asking for anything more than that. Okay. So as uh, we consider this and as we invite you, let's just take some time to pray, to thank God for how he's at work, and to ask God to use us that AIC would be known as a church that multiplies, a church that goes and reaches others for Christ and loves everyone where they're at. So let's pray. Lord God, we come before you as humble people. Lord, we know that each of us do not deserve to be uh, your children, to be your follower. But Lord, we are here because you have reached out to us. You have called us to follow you. So God, I ask that you would give each of us that same motivation to go and reach others. Lord, we, none of us are perfect. We all have insecurities. We all feel like we have inadequacies. But God, you can use each of us in powerful ways. And so God, uh, thank you for this church. Thank you for the people you've surrounded us with. Uh, thank you for the people you placed in our lives that we can be an influence on. And I ask that as we uh, enter into this uh, strategy of multiplication, Lord, that uh, it would allow us to grow in our faith and allow us to help others grow in their faith as well. And that we would not just uh, know about your word, not just talk about your word, but we would live it out, that we would do what you've called us to do, that we would be solely focused on this mission to go and make disciples. So God, I ask you would work powerfully in us and through us and as we go in this journey, I pray that you would bring uh, countless numbers to know you. And we want to celebrate who you are and what you're doing. So God, we dedicate uh, this to you and we dedicate ourselves to you. And we ask that you would just work in powerful ways. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.